back to Sister Radio. I am so happy you're joining us for the 11th episode. My name is Zaki Tami. Some of you might know me as the artist behind Sister Library, the first community-owned, community-run feminist library based in Bombay. And just like the library, Sister Radio is about celebrating women. We talk to sisters from all walks of life and we share a new episode every full moon and every new moon. And for today's episode, we have two amazing women join us for this conversation. We have my wonderful and amazingly talented sister, Kahuran Giyadiki Smith. She is an artist and has an art and curatorial practice with a strong focus on digital media and indigenous futurism. Her works reflect media that she engages with daily in person and online, such as GIFs, karaoke and video games. Kahuran Gyariki has exhibited and curated shows across many galleries and institutions. She believes that there is power within the intersection of traditional perspectives and contemporary media. In recent years, she has been collaborating with her mom, Aroha Yates-Smith, who is also joining us today. I'm so thankful to have her. Dr. Aroha Yates-Smith is one of the strongest voices for recognition of the feminine in Maori spirituality. She was a professor and dean of Tipua Wananga Kiteao School of Maori and Pacific Development at the University of Waikato. Her PhD thesis was titled Hine e Hine, Rediscovering the Feminine in Maori Spirituality, focusing on the role of Atua Wahine in Maori cosmology and the marginalization of the Maori feminine in ethnographic writings and the modern colonized Maori community. Amongst the many accolades and recognitions received by Aroha Auntie, she was also awarded the Royal Society of New Zealand Tirangi Hiroa Medal for her academic endeavors and has been a Fulbright Scholar at the University of Hawaii. Aroha Auntie is also a poet and she writes in the form of original Wayata and is currently writing a book about four prominent Tupuna Wahini. I'm so excited to have the both of them here with us and I cannot wait to talk to them. Let's start. Yay! You guys are here! I'm so happy! So nice to talk to you. I have been wanting to get you both together and have a chat. Yeah, this is really so nice, Kahu. Thank you so much for putting so much thought around it and working it out. You're amazing and I'm so grateful that we can get back together and talk in this weird internet space. 
Well, it got me in, right? Because I was like, oh my gosh, how to, how to get mum set up in another city. Mum usually lives in Hamilton and Kirikiridor, and I live here in Tamaki, Auckland. Then, miraculously, mum was staying for the weekend, which I didn't know about. We were staying at our house, which is even better. So it's been great. We just had a big skateboarder, we just had breakfast in the sun and chilling out. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Mm, wonderful. It's been um, it's been over a year, I guess, right? Since we last year. Yeah, it was September last year, no? Oh, wow. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it's been over a year. Maybe now you you can come to India. Yes. Hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The borders will open. You don't want to come right now because. Uh. Yeah, we are not at a good place. How is it there in Aotearoa with the COVID? Um, well, last night we had, a, it was election night, and Jacinda <laughs> was re-elected, so it's feeling very positive, it's feeling, it's a big relief, really. But Celebrating. <laughs> yeah, it's really celebratory and festive, um, or at least in our household, because the Greens have done really well, Māori's done really well, and so it feels like our country will be very safe <laughs> for the next few years. So that's a big relief in terms of trusting that the government prioritises people and prioritises saving lives. So mm, Other than the increasing the economy or that can certainly Yeah, so... But the other thing is, it's, I think it's the largest numbers are Māori empowerment ever, Māori MPs. It's the first time I've had so many Māori MPs. Mm. And many of them, most of them are in Labour. I mean, this is all good news because if the politicians are prioritising good things going forward, <coughs> then we can trust that with COVID the right decisions will be made. Mm. Um, and they listen to people, so... Yeah, no, I'm feeling really safe right now. Feeling really good, yeah. How have you been? Here, the situation hasn't been so great since mm. the very start of the lockdown, which was in March, and COVID has just further intensified yeah. pre-existing inequalities in our society. Mm. It's quite an intense time, you know, because it's not just that we've got one thing going on it's like on every level people are really dealing with so much stuff it's just really heavy i think it's a lot for people to, to go through and there are so many consequences that we just can't see yet you know and i think too you know people are feeling that trauma through either getting depressed and and through lockdown not being able to get out and about and unless they have things to do at home i.e gardening or writing a book or lots of books to read if they're readers um doing something constructive it would have been very difficult for people and i think it continues to be difficult for a lot of people mm. yeah it has impacted us negatively in so many ways directly of course because of the disease uh, but also Indirectly, mm. it has caused harm by just amplifying caste-based violence and racial violence and domestic violence. It has been really mm. difficult for people who are daily wage earners and people who have home-based industries. It's mm. just been a nightmare. There has been an exodus of people who were working as migrants in the cities. They had to go back to their villages and to their towns. 
the houses that people live in are really tiny and they all do yeah. shared spaces mm. and that is another difficult space to coexist in with everyone having to be indoors mm. and all the public spaces being shut down. Yeah, overall it hasn't been great and I'm really scared because there hasn't been a positive news about the virus mm. yet. We don't know about a cure yet. Yeah, it causes me anxiety every time I think about how long this might go on. But it's amazing to see how well Atero has handled COVID. You are COVID free now, yeah? Yeah. More or less. We've still got cases coming in, but mainly they're coming in through managed isolation. And if COVID cases pop up, then at least we know that they can contain. There are slight cases popping up here and there. We had a cluster a few months back, so here in Tamaki we were in a second lockdown. I think people were a lot more prepared the second time around, so it's, it's, yeah, it's feeling safe right now. That's so nice to know. I have lost all sense of calmness and I don't know when was the last time I felt properly safe. Yeah. Yeah, this is so exhausting. Uh, but uh, let's talk about nicer times. Tell me about your childhood. It's interesting, actually, Mum and I were talking about this earlier, that we had very different experiences growing up and that I grew up in a very urban city. A lot of Mum's research is around, has been around at all, like, in here for the last, what, I don't know, three years? Fourteen years. So I've grown up hearing a lot of the stories around Māori goddesses and our female ancestors in particular, and how they're deified in nature and how we can recognise them celebrate them but also take care of them so there's a level of like I don't mean to reduce it by saying environmentalism but I think they're all hand in hand indigenous knowledge and the environment's all hand in hand so that's how I grew up you know hearing these stories as daytime stories really and it's only more recently that I've come to understand them and relate to them in a new in a new way more as like role models and recognizing it as a lineage rather than just bedtime stories you know something that's imaginary when you're a kid or quite vivid in a different way. Yeah. In Mum's case, she grew up in Rotorua. Both my parents uh, were Māori, and I grew up in within my Tarawa canoe side in Rotorua, and I was one of the younger ones, the seventh of the eight children, but we also had a family who was the eldest. I feel I was very fortunate to have my parents, who were much older, were kind of grandparents in many ways, and therefore my oldest siblings were more like parents in terms of age, you know, general age. However, I feel totally blessed that I had that range of guidance. Wow, both of you are growing up sounds so fun. Auntie, it feels so great to know that you grew up with so many siblings. Mm. It makes my heart so happy. You must have had so much fun growing up and you must have been surrounded by love. And you brought all the stories to go as a child. You're so lucky, go. I wonder if it's common there for children to have access to such amazing stories, their histories, because for us, it's a struggle. 
Um, I think it's something we're getting towards. I, th- I think particularly those children who go to either Kohanga Rural, that's the equivalent of kind of kindergarten, but a, a wider immersion kind of centre, whether they through education, whether it's at a, an elementary or beyond level. I think those stories are incorporated into the daily programs, really. I think uh, the ways in which mum was raised and that it was a very Anglican. Mum grew up Anglican and in that she was only ever told there was one God and there was and then it was um yeah, a male more than that but mum was really questioned but how can we have so many male gods in the Māori was a pantheon Um, we're a female god so how can there be so many descendants without female lines so um, I think because mum had those questions um, and was questioning the beliefs that other people around her when she was younger. Then going on to research more about Atua Wahine and Māori goddesses, I think I'm being able to grow up with a lot of that knowledge. So it's very much like the mahi you do in your own lifetime will be what your kids get to grow up amongst. So it's... As a norm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you didn't question it because that's what you were learning and and she didn't realise that there were very few people who were actually unless they were immersed in that particular area of either weaving where they mm. um, and that's how I came to understand, know more about Māori goddesses was through my weaving side um, during weaving and then finding out actually um, the goddess of weaving was Hineke Iwiwa one of them was it just took time and it was really that weaving process I mean I'd done ballet and doing so I had performed as if I were a Greek goddess of the ancient sacred feminine but on our European side and then through my weaving of learning to weave pupu with the skirts you know it's in doing that that I had time I was with um, those seen as kind of the leaders within the weaving realm of the last, say, 50 years, but for me, they were my aunties, and then it wasn't until later on when they became noted for their expertise and their um, leadership and guidance of others that I realised how incredibly fortunate I was to have learnt literally at their sides or at their knees, <laughs> you know, um, kneeling beside them. It wasn't until Kahu started doing some of the work she's been doing that I realised how she was influenced not necessarily by something that I'd been educating her about. She merely absorbed it on a daily basis through observation, through an involvement in our practices, um, being blessed like I was to be in the company of others with the knowledge. Or in her case, often not to have met them, but to have heard about them through me or um, later on seeing it on the screen. Would you say that, Dawn? Yeah, all sounds so fascinating. Auntie, do you remember when you were young? Why was it that you felt uh, drawn to weaving? What was it that influenced you into wanting to know more? Both my parents were already involved in the weaving, I don't want to use the word industry, but with so many of our people being involved with kapahaka, that's performance in Māori terms, with groups, as you would have seen, we stand in groups, we don't tend to stand individually and perform, we tend to stand with either our tribal groups or cultural 
the aligned groups. There's usually perhaps 40 people. So my parents would be approached by our relatives back in Tatara and the Rotorua and on our Tūrana and Nia Kiwa Gisborne um, coastline to make pipi for them. And those are the sort of what they call flat skirts and became very well renowned for because of the quality. You know, these their pipi lasted for years and it, it was really beautifully woven, etc. and prepared. I grew up with my parents doing that. My mother and I would sit and knit, would do crocheting, embroidery, and I'd get up in the morning and we would knit or something together, chat in the sun. So so therefore the weaving of various descriptions from both sides, both cultures, was were very evident in our home as an example and then of course Papa was also a carpenter so you know you had that people who are used to doing things with their hands and and as I said I, I was fortunate to have been taught by some of the who became leaders when I was about 11 or 12 and we used to have the Māori carving school just basically next door and when they moved the carving school to Whakarewarewa, I was asked to attend the weaving side of it. So I'd go there in the holidays and this, the very same master carver would pick me up along with his wife in the holidays each morning. So I'd go out there and I learnt to make pupu initially, then I learnt to do tāniko and I eventually did whatukākahu, which is for weaving cloaks, for instance. And that became a real passion of mine. Doing this weaving and finding out about Hineta Iwewa, that answered the question that I had in my mind, which was puzzling me, thinking, how can there be only mighty gods? You know, how can you have progeny if <laughs> there are only mighty gods? Surely there must be a mighty goddess sign in there somewhere. <laughs> I didn't think it that way at the time, but it just, it was a real question. So, of course, in learning to weave, I heard about Hineta Iwewa, and as a result of that, I based my master's thesis which happened to be in Māori and it turned out to be the first thesis to be written in Māori and then from that I pursued a PhD in my PhD study I developed my doctoral work which was rediscovering the feminine the feminine and Māori spirituality come you need to know so that's the thesis and that took me nine years so I um, gave birth to Kahu <laughs> towards the end of it. And this is the story you want me to tell you. Oh, God. <laughs> so Kahu, she's hearing me say this all the time. So I was having to be induced because I had terrible high blood pressure. They put me into hospital. Of course, I hadn't finished my PhD at that stage. So it was about five in the morning and I knew I'd have to go into the operating, well, not the operating theatre, but theatre soon so I decided oh well I would say my own karakia which I read from my chapter that I was writing at that time which is about childbirth etc and so I read out this ancient karakia which was said over one of our earliest female ancestors and as soon as I came across the ehina ehine kahurangi ariki I knew that that name would be Kay's name I took off the ehine just to try and reduce some of the weight, the intensity.
authenticity of the name. We believe that certain names have a lot of mana and um, weight, you know, spiritual weight to it. I try to reduce that weight, hence the reason why Kavi's name is covered in the Ariki. Ah, that's absolutely fascinating. I remember the time when I first met Kahu. She immediately told me about you and your work with the Maori goddesses. And it's so great and inspiring to see how your decolonization work has impacted your children. Both Kahu and uh, your son as well, who does traditional markings. It's so wonderful to see this. Mm, that's right. Yeah, yes, obviously. I mean, Mukunui Arangi's name is very interesting. That He's named after one of our great-grandfathers. Um, but if you go back far enough, is the name of our mountain. And incredibly, um, he's ended up taking up the traditional form of art through the tattoo practice, which then became known by Europeans as tattoo, and which we call Moko. And his name was Mukuniarangi, which means great tattoo in the sky. So you kind of think you've got all this decision making of your own lifestyle, you know, what you do yourself, but really, you got to wonder, you know. I find it so funny when you think back to how everything pans out. Preordained, that's exactly what I was thinking. And I've been very aware of that all my life. And I say to my young ones, be very aware of where you are in the moment, because later on you'll realise why you're meant to be there whether it's a difficult situation or not. And it's a matter of trying to negotiate your way through and then be able to reflect on it later on. And the COVID, this COVID situation is a fine example of it. It's so hard for me to think about COVID like that because like, I see it as something that has been an impact a direct impact of how people in positions of power have exploited people and nature around us without being held accountable mm -hmm. and without giving back. And, uh, yeah, like with most things, mm -hmm. it started in the global north, but the repercussions have been so much severe in the global south. And I don't know, it yeah. just keeps making me think that it's time for us to go back to ancestral indigenous mm -hmm. knowledge systems and indigenous philosophies because this just does not seem to be working anymore. Mm, absolutely. I consider myself really lucky to be born Maori and indigenous because there's so much richness, you know, and you can, you're born into a way of seeing that um, understanding the world is totally interconnected. Like, the health of the people is only ever going to be as good and as well as the health of the land or the waterways or the ocean. Yes, exactly. And I don't know why that is so hard for people to grasp. Wow. It's just, yeah, unimaginable. Mm. Um, anyway, can you tell me mm. about when was it that you decided to become an artist and go to an art school. How did that happen? Ooh, that was a while ago now. Um, I guess I, I always loved storytelling in all its forms. I learned how to read through video games. I've watched or consumed a lot of media through the internet and, you know, anime and cartoons and all those things I thought were totally irrelevant to um, what serious art would be. 
I've ended up informing um, quite a lot of my practice. And I guess I just wanted to find ways to engage people with storytelling and engage them with important issues I find to be really important and to share Māori worldviews and to give voice to a lot of those old stories and perspectives. So I went to school hoping to learn how to do that, I guess hoping to learn how to do storytelling well and communicate well while I was there. I mean I was calling mum regardless asking for help like can I do this, is it okay if I do this and then I started working with her and her, with her thesis as well to create video games pertaining to different goddesses and I guess that was the first time that she collaborated together. And it's sort of what we've been talking about where there's a lineage to your name, to your mahi, to your life, where the, the work isn't actually your own, but rather it's a combination of so many people that have come before you that have worked so hard to survive and to hold on to te ao Māori and their deal. That now I've got the privilege of being able to like tutu around, like, how do you translate tutu? Play around. Yeah, play with things. <laughs> and experiment. Yeah, I, I guess just being curious and hopefully in a way that can engage children with these stories or older people that haven't had the opportunity to hear these things before or hear about their own Māori goddesses or atua. But it's definitely um, been an amazing process to help mum with her writing and all of her work that she's still going on to do while she's also uh, enriching my practice too so it's kind of really beautiful mum's also had was it last three years mum was diagnosed with Alzheimer's as well so there's also I guess kind of an added urgency to all of this to work together to record things to hang out yeah one thing I'm trying to deal with recently is the more that we've been working together the less time we spent together which somehow doesn't make any sense so I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> but that's alright. We're going to take our time with things. Yeah, it also does remind you of the agility of life and the importance of taking the time when you can. Mm. You know, the importance of listening and relationship. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I feel so fortunate to have this space to listen to both of you and reflect together and learn from you. I was also so happy to be able to witness your work in person and it really reflects your intention very clearly. Your collaborative work, the karaoke, it's such a good mix of knowledge keeping and sharing and community building and history keeping and celebrating the land and culture. It's so amazingly wonderful and it also breaks the stereotype of what indigenous art forms are supposed to look like because karaoke is also so contemporary. Yeah. It was amazing. I really enjoyed that work. Thank you for making it. Thank you for that. It was um, it was really fortunate actually. Since working at St Paul Street Gallery at AUT, a lot of my colleagues, such as Natalie Robertson, who's an amazing artist, who was already in collaboration with Alex Monteith and Graham Atkins, invited Mum and I on to help initially to um for Mum's research to help inform their mahi they were looking at mum's mahi in terms of parafinua mea who's the deity of alluvial waters and fresh water and so and then mum's already composed all these waiata which i haven't learned 
<laughs> Still need to learn. When your mom's a composer, but you don't like to sing, and you only like to sing at karaoke, it's a bit like, oh, well, you sing at karaoke? Sometimes. Oh my god, that's amazing. It's so exploring so karaoke as uh, a means of sharing, it sort of plays on our what we've always had in our history, our, our tradition anyway. But, and it was so much fun as well. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. To be able to spend time with mum and hang out for hours in the green room. A lot of the footage, to me, were bloopers we ended up adding. Oh, except for an occasion I'd listen to my voice and it's slightly off and they oh no <laughs> but I want to say me this I once told Kahu how oh. beautiful her voice is she hates me with referring to this and she has the sweetest voice and you know what she decided to do never sing again she never has sung in front of me again isn't it isn't it oh no why Kahu <laughs> isn't it really I was devastated it was an absolute thrill to work with Kahu and her mates because we ended up going to this video studio and, and just seeing there the power of the work that they were doing I have a particular love for water and that was just an incredible experience yes the work totally reflects that happiness and the energy oh. it's it was so great to see the both of you so happily smiling and singing together. It was such good medicine for us as indigenous peoples, but also for everyone. I feel like the world so much needs these images of happy indigenous people, indigenous women. Definitely for us, it's so important for us, but also for the colonizers because... I feel sorry for them that, you know, they have so much hate in their heart and they should see these images and they need these images as much as we need them. Yeah, and I keep thinking how this work was so non-intimidating to people from all walks of life, like for people even who did, do not want to do anything with indigenous knowledge keeping, mm. this work is still inviting to them. And, you know, in that it becomes such a powerful medium to share these stories that are not reaching people who would otherwise not go looking for indigenous knowledge keeping or indigenous resistance. Yeah, love it so much. And to be in that space, it was so special. Thank you for having me. I felt so loved. And I have had the opportunity to meet indigenous elders in places that I've traveled to. And auntie, I felt so loved when I met you. And I'm so grateful for that, to have the privilege of experiencing your company and your love. It was so great. I feel so fortunate. Thank you for that. Honestly, that worked out so perfect. Hey, that was an amazing time together. So I remember when Aki came with us to the like mm. the pre-opening, the kalakia of Why I Don't Cry to Tuhi. Yeah, that was great. That was so special. <coughs> yeah. Didn't you go back home after that? Yeah. No, I was so disappointed when I heard that you'd gone back home. Yeah, I wish I had time to say goodbye properly but I'll come back once everything opens up hopefully there'll be more opportunities and I'll come back and I'll see you again and I'll spend more time together hopefully anytime
Yeah, as I said, I was really sad when I heard that you'd you'd gone back home. And I thought, oh no, I wanted to see you again. So, so this has been lovely, really lovely, Aki. Thank you, thank you so much. I have a few more questions. Can you tell me if there is a new collaborative work you're working on right now, or what have you been doing during this time? Yes, <laughs> we are. It was it all started a long time ago with Anastasis, which never got published. Um, and that was, yeah, 20 years ago. Um, so my new project will be to redesign Mum's thesis and get it ready to be published. So that's um, Mahi together. And in the meantime, Mum's still writing her book. It's called Hirahimi Ariki no Terura. So Ariki is a, a noble, so one of the highest levels of nobility one could have. And these are all women who, of course, were their ancestors at one stage but um, have been deified really because of their prowess etc and their mana. This particular chapter is 42 pages long and it was meant to be a short book. I think I started writing it about maybe eight or nine years ago now and then I got cancer and now I've got Alzheimer's so things have slowed it down very remarkably but at the same time um, there are all these little snippets that keep on falling into my lap which are just tiny little things which are inserted and these don't take much to add you know mm. um, and they're very easy to incorporate and I think they're absolute gems and they're important but I have found the um, process of checking I've, I've found with one particular chapter the things that have been removed that shouldn't have been removed so I'm finding that with my with my mind at the moment. It's very difficult to be able to work through and sort that out. Then I thought it would be published by now. In actual fact, it won't be published till next year now. I think people are really hungry for this type of knowledge too, and that it's been difficult because the few publications that are out there, or the few copies of it that are out there of Mum's thesis, are at different libraries. And I'll tell someone, you know, go to a certain <coughs> library, it should be there. And I'll say, oh no, that was stolen like five years ago so I think making it accessible for people that's the urgency oh, how exciting I would absolutely love to have both of these books at Sister Library for people to look at and also I would love to read yeah. them that's so amazing <laughs> sweet wonderful I was wondering if you had advice for young indigenous women who want to become artists or get into academia or even work in cultural spaces. I just say go for it. Mm. You know, when the opportunity arises, if it feels good to you, and sometimes even if it doesn't feel good to you, do it anyway. If there's any sense that it might be of help to you or you might find interest in it, then I suggest someone give it a go. And it may be that in doing so, they actually decide, no, that's not really for me. But they might have met someone or been introduced to something else, which they then realise is the right 
the route to take, you know, is the thing to do. But if you have a strong sense that this isn't the right way to go, then don't do that. And also then if later on someone says, oh, you should have done that, exactly what you decided you're not going to do, and you start kicking yourself about it, understand that this is life, that there's always going to be times when we may have those regrets and you just have to get on and you obviously weren't meant to do that. The fact that you didn't do it <laughs> means that you weren't meant to do it. <laughs> but you can reflect on it and, and learn from that and gain some wisdom from the space in which you have been placed. Um, I guess I'd say if you've got that gut feeling to follow that as well as don't wait for other people to validate it because particularly oh, in, in academia <laughs> and in um, art as well, these can typically be quite difficult spaces to navigate being Indigenous, being woman. We've got our own knowledge systems which are equally, if not more so valid and grounded in really old ways. Mm. Um, and generations of knowledge and if you think it'll be serving a community a purpose to, to share that and communicate it in whatever way, whether that's writing or through art or um, however best works for you, then I think do that, follow that. You may be confronted by people that haven't seen this sort of stuff before but I think there's a lot of us out there that are internationally that can support each other, which is what I really love about Indigenous people is that we're all like this big network of cousins <laughs> with really similar experiences and really similar ways of viewing the world and that's really beautiful and I think we can use that to support each other yeah that's such wonderful advice I was wondering if you have any books that you'd like to recommend to our listeners books written by female authors one that I think people should read, whether you're Indigenous or non-Indigenous or wherever you're from, that I think gives a really good insight into um, into Indigenous thinking is Linda Tohiwai Smith's um, Decolonizing Methodologies. And this has been a huge text that got us through art school because we could literally point to this book and say, we're not, <laughs> we're not making this up. We're not, you know, when other people don't understand your work and, you know, just the things you've got to go through, the hurdles you have to go through to have a text that you can literally put in someone's hands and say, read this, then you'll get it. <laughs> and it's um, hugely freeing and it lifts a massive weight off of your shoulders when you've got literature like that around. So definitely, definitely that one. Yes, for me too. I absolutely love that book and it has been such good medicine for me. I find myself going back to it again and again. Yeah, wonderful suggestion. Do you want to give a shout out to a mutual aid group or an organization? I think, kind of, it kind of answers this and it also doesn't. I'd say go back to where you're from like locally and see where you can direct your energies at home whether that's amongst your own whanau or back in your where your iwi's from where your tribe's from or your village and how can you support the whenua there or the communities there um i think we've got so much going on in our own backyards that we can support particularly as we can't travel overseas right now I think focusing locally is really important and to support those of us that aren't in such fortunate positions that are really being affected right now or the waterways or picking up rubbish 
Um, it doesn't have to all be monetary, but well, who can you call up and check on? Like those those sorts of things. Um, where can you put your energies right now? Mm, I agree with all of that. I think you know some people pray, some people sing, but I think just putting out that positive vibe I'm going to use uh, vibration in whatever way you choose to do it, whether it be through song or prayer or just positive thought, can send that positive intention, blessing Papatua Nukua, Earth Mother and Ranginui, my father and all of the progeny. This is a perfect time for us to really appreciate life and all that we have and therefore in appreciating it show that appreciation through good deeds. Yeah, I think that's really valuable. I think there's a lot we can do in our own backyards where it can help give you that sense of making a difference when all of this stuff is going down. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, 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 totally agree. This is the last question. How can one be a sister supporter? Well, for me, you need to be kind for a start, if you possibly can, and listen. I think it's important to listen to what a person, the other person is saying. Try to understand, particularly if they're coming from a totally different standpoint or viewpoint than one that you hold, to try and understand that. And that if you can't understand it, then just rest as being not understood, so not to get angry if they happen to have an opposite view to what you have and try to be generous of spirit and kind. Mm, And and we all know that through having gone through lockdown, it hasn't been easy. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. How about you, Kahu? I think um, one step is to look at the content you're consuming, whose voices are you listening to day to day, whose voices are you kind of consuming, and then if you're able to financially, can you purchase from um, people of colour authors, or can you support by turning up in rallies and protests if that's safe for you? How can you show up with what you have, and how can you support um, people's voices? Whether or not this is something that you're able to relate to in person, is there still another way, from your own experiences, is there still another way you can support? And I think it's one thing I've learned through doing art is that with what I'm putting out there, I'm expecting people to have a certain level of an open mind and to, to be receiving equally so, equally receiving and open, even if they're not my experiences. Buy those books, support your local makers, support your local artists, get back home and support your own community and pick up rubbish off of the land, take out weeds out of your riverways and try and clear them up if you can. Super. Yeah, that was amazing. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, Can you tell our listeners where we can follow your work online if you are on social media platforms? Yeah, I guess the easiest is to... um, is my Instagram probably um, at Kahunaniyadaki and then I'll put my email out there as well because I'm taking a lot of, um, I'm helping with a lot of mum's work so if you want to contact mum you can contact her through my email uh, kbsmith at gmail.com um, and then yeah I'm hoping that in, within the next few months or the next year we'll have good news about mum's thesis and I would have shared that and get that out there. Um, 
So yeah, otherwise we're always down for a chat, so you know where to find us now. <laughs> um, but I want to thank you for doing that, for A, participating in it, but particularly if you've created this avenue for particularly women to come together and um, listen to each other, sharing ideas about whatever they wish to share, then I think it's it's a wonderful initiative. And well done. That's a brilliant idea. Thank you. I feel so happy that you joined me and it is really a blessing and uh, yeah, I hope it reaches more and more and more people and especially indigenous women because we need to hear each other's voices but mostly like voices of our elders and uh, yeah i hope it brings as much happiness as it did to me listening to you and to kahu to everyone that listens to this conversation as well it was so wonderful yeah, thank you honey. it's it's really um this morning has really brightened my day. It's quite um the weather's not great here today, but it's it's been a beautifully enriching morning. Yes. Really lovely. Lovely to share with you. So thank you, Aki. All yeah. the best, Aki. Wonderful. Oh thank you, Aki. Thank Bye. you, dear. Nahoda Maina. All the best. Bye. Thank you. Take care Bye. of yourself. You too. See you. Bye. You just heard a conversation between me, Akitami, Aroha Auntie and my sister Kahuran Giariki Smith. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at ilovereadingwomen@gmail.com. We are also on Instagram as sister.library and on Twitter as sisterlibrary. You can support Sister Radio by reviewing us on Apple Podcast and rating us there as well. You can also share, comment and heart us on SoundCloud and share with your friends and your family on Google Podcast. Sister Radio is supported by Prohelvishya India, the Swiss Art Council. And music for Sister Radio is composed by my sister Shasha Patel. I'll see you next time. Until then, keep celebrating women. Bye.